welcome into the Lion's Lair. I am your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Kyle J. Andrews. Kyle, how you doing? Doing well. Of course, there's a lot of big news on the horizon. Um, heard a lot about some certain things that could be going down um, and things that are going down, I guess. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a lot about that a little bit in a little bit. Um, <laughs> I, I just want to hear your thoughts first, especially since um, you're a little bit more well-versed in this than I am. Yeah, uh, you're, of course, referring to whatever we're calling this alliance between the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12. I'm just going to call it the alliance. That's what we'll call it, and that's what it'll be. Um, but, yeah, that, that'll be the first thing we talk about today, and we may as well dive into that now. Yesterday, the Big Ten – ACC and Pac-12 came out and announced uh, that they all got together and pinky swore that they're going to do nice things for each other, uh, which is essentially what happened. Um, basically, the commissioners of the three conferences, Jim Phillips of the ACC, George Klyavkov of the Pac-12, and Kevin Warren of the Big Ten, uh, had a conference call announcing this alliance between the three conferences and laid out sort of their plans kind of vaguely uh, with, with no timeline either, uh, saying that they're going to schedule more games against each other in football uh, once they're contractually able to, uh, which could take some time because, you know, teams have commitments out to like 2030. Um, you know, they're going to schedule more games and more events in, in men's and women's basketball. They're going to try and organize more events in Olympic sports. They're going to do all of these things. Uh, they're going to work together on NCA issues and the future of the NCA. Uh, and then asked, you know, what the contract sort of looks like, but what, what they signed to put this in order, there is none. So there is nothing keeping all of this, you know, together other than the fact that they agreed to it. Uh, the, the way it was uh, sort of stated was that this was an agreement between three gentlemen, according to Klyavkov, uh, to do these things. And, you know, this is college athletics. Uh, it does not take a lot for someone to stab someone in the back. It does not take a lot for someone to do what's their own, in their own self-interest. So, listen, as much as this was sort of hyped up as this alliance that, you know, that will help them fend off the SEC and that will be meaningful and will allow them to control power when it comes to voting, which is true, I, I don't know that we ever see this come to full fruition, right? Like, what's to stop the Big Ten from – poaching a few teams from the ACC in a few years if their, their grant of rights is about to run out, right? Like this is, uh, it, it's not nothing. I, I do want to say that. Like there is something that they've done here. They, you know, they might actually follow through with some of the scheduling stuff and the voting stuff early on at least. But long-term, there's there's not a lot here that, that, that really changes anything for me. I think the only thing that it may change down the line is just, you know, maybe some of those FCS schools that, you know, get paid to to get thrashed <laughs> um, early on in the season. It might not be as much um, of those games going on, especially if, um, you know, you're, I, I guess, let's say you're a, uh, you know, Penn State, instead of playing like, um, you know, a Villanova <laughs> to start the season off, Penn State's playing like, um you know, maybe maybe they're playing against like uh, let's let's pick let's pick all the the bad. I mean, let's pick some of the bad Pac-12 teams that are bad ACC teams. Like, you know, maybe they're taking on one of them. Um, you know, what what's stopping Penn State from playing a uh, you know, let's say Connecticut down the line <laughs> joins the ACC somehow. 
not that I think that'll happen anytime soon because Connecticut football is horrible. But, um, you know, I, I just I think that, you know, it's going to be one of those situations where I think that's probably the biggest change that it's going to make in the beginning. Um, I think basketball is going to be immediate changes. I'm I'll truth truth be told, I'm more excited about this move because of basketball than I am for football, because I think, you know, one, you get in a lot of old like, you know, Big East and, and ACC rivalries from this in basketball. And I think there's so many good basketball programs between the Big Ten and the ACC. We already see it with the Big Ten ACC challenge, but now we're going to be able to expand on that a little bit more where you, you know, you instead of playing just one game against the Big Ten and one game against the ACC, you're playing against the Pac-12, you're playing against the ACC a couple games, you know. I would, I would love to see you know, where you're getting three games against both um, for your out-of-conference schedule. I think that would be great for basketball, especially women's basketball. I think some of the – I mean, some of the top talents are in the Pac-12 and the ACC um, and and the Big Ten. So I think college basketball is going to be outstanding. Um, But, you know, for football, I think it's going to take a little bit longer to come to fruition. But – you know, those those are the two major things I think. I think basketball is gonna get that immediate hit. Olympic sports, and I think maybe you don't play as many of those cupcake FCS schools as you would in football. Yeah, and and you know that's the biggest thing that's gonna come out of this, and that's everyone's main takeaway right about the scheduling is that this is gonna help. The problem, pretty much as you said with football, is when. Like, there, there's no way to do this that far out, right? Like, if you look at the agreements for basketball, they're not you know, they're, they're not that set in stone. And you're right. Like a lot of those rivalries already exist between those, those conferences because of realignment, they got shifted and, and everything. Uh, so we don't see them as much. I do think it'll be interesting to watch um, how they sort of uh, dole out these, the ga- these games, like who's playing who, uh, who, how the commissioners, I think it, it was the commissioners who, who essentially form a committee and there will be uh athletic directors on the committee to, to figure out the scheduling stuff. I wonder, you know, are they going to stick Clemson against Ohio state every now and again, or are we not going to get that matchup because they know that it could damage both teams playoff profile. Like I, I just wonder how, how many games this is going to create in football that are actually at the end of the day. Right. Like you're right. Like Penn state might get an Oregon state every now and again, which is, you know, I guess better than playing Villanova, but it's not all that much better than playing Villanova yeah. with how Oregon State has been of late. So I just, I, I, I question the, the true benefit that comes from the scheduling. And then if you look at the scheduling stuff out, anything outside the scheduling stuff, there's just not much, like there's not a lot set in stone. It was a whole lot of platitudes, a lot of, we're going to help with this and we're going to help with that. But like, also we don't have specifics on how we're going to do these things. Uh, and it, listen, uh, I understand that they they wanted to they clearly wanted to sort of try to head off the SEC in some way, right? Like because they thought the SEC was getting too much power with Texas and Oklahoma now. Um, you know, I'm guessing they 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 saw that as enough of an issue that they felt like they had to do something. And these three commissioners who are all relatively new at their jobs didn't want to uh, you know pick apart each other's conferences just yet. Uh, but instead, they came up with an alliance that doesn't accomplish a whole lot, doesn't do a whole lot to help them in the future. And honestly, we may be looking back on as a thing of the past within three years, and we may never see these football games come to fruition. Yeah. And, 
And the biggest thing, too, is, you know, yesterday when they said, I think, I, I believe it was Kevin Warren that said, we want the Big 12 to to be, to exist or to be robust. Yeah, they, they said they need the Big 12 to be successful for the rest of college athletics. And yeah, I'm not okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because, I, I mean, like, let's be real. I think the Big 12 is going to get picked apart by these three conferences. Just, a, I mean, it seems I, I, like. It seems like a matter of of when and not if. I'm not reporting anything there. Just the logic would dictate that a what an eight school conference that's a power five conference and has no marquee name just can't last that long. Right. And I just think it's it's tough to to truthfully believe that you know the Big Twelve won't something something won't come about where either the Big Twelve is saying okay well we got to go on a defensive. And we have to start trying to find some schools, but even then, it's like your cachet as a as a power five school is gone at this point. If you do go and if you're not poaching some of the best AC schools, like let's say if if Big Twelve if the Big Twelve was like, okay, well, we're gonna try to stay together, but we're gonna try to get some of the best AAC schools like that. It's fine and dandy, but I mean that's that's not gonna do you much good when. All the, you know, those same AAC schools are getting knocks on their door by, you know, a Big Ten or by ACC or even by the Pac-12. So, I mean, I, I just don't think, I don't think it's, it's going to be really tough for them to to stay afloat as a, as a Power Five uh, conference, if they even that anymore. I, I wouldn't even call them that at this point. I think the AAC, honestly, <laughs> is closer to that than that. In the Big 12 at this point, except in basketball. Basketball, 100%. They well, uh, the th- Big 12 stole there. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like they're they're technically Power Five because they're part of the autonomous five voting voting block. Excuse me, that like sort of controls the direction of college athletics at the NCAA. Uh, and they, you know, they still have that vote. But how long does that last? Right when you when you've got these eight teams. Uh, and I think it'll be interesting when. Uh, like you said, when those conferences come knocking for those schools, well, what happens when those conferences come knocking to the uh, Iowa States and Kansas and Baylor and Texas Techs and Oklahoma States of the world when the alternative to joining the Big Ten, ACC, or Pac-12 is hang around, we're going to add Houston and Memphis, right? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know that. And for as good as those programs are, and for as, especially Memphis and basketball is going to be on a major upswing, uh, they could be getting one of the top commits in the country uh, later this week yeah, in basketball. But at the end of the day, like, that's not holding any water. Like, right, adding Houston yeah. to Memphis doesn't doesn't carry I think, anything. I, I think Houston brings a little bit to it only because but of even, Houston's. But does Houston bring more than joining a conference that has Ohio State yeah, in it, that has exactly. USC exactly. in it? If I, in if it. I was Exactly. If I was Houston, you know, why not join the Pac-12? Because I think the Pac-1, the Pac-12, if they could expand into Texas, I think that's always a move. But, you know, getting Houston, especially a school that won, you know, they're in the fourth largest market in the country. I mean, that that's gigantic. And it's so many Houston grads. Um, so, you know, the endowment's going to be good. And it's a it's a good, you know, it's a very good school. It's not like you know, if you if you gain a Houston, Houston's one of those schools that could fit in in the Pac-12. You know, as a as an academic program as well. You know, you're not losing anything by adding a Houston. And I don't think Houston's going to be like, okay, well, I want to join the Big 12. I mean, at this point, it's like, okay, we'll go big or go home. You know, for them, 
they're either thinking, hey, let's join, you know, the Pac-12 or, you know, or, or the, I mean, honestly, if I, you know, I don't know if Houston would be, if, if the Big Ten would ever consider adding Houston or the ACC, but I think the Pac-12, I mean, that, that would be great for them considering that, like, you know, out of the, I guess, the four big conferences left, you know, they're kind of, you know, on the edge, hanging on by, well, not hanging on by a thread, but they, you know, they tried to play catch up a little bit. Yeah, and, and the the sort of uh, mental block, I guess, well, not mental block, but the actual block for the roadblock for these Big 12 schools and wanting that Houston, if that were to come to pass, is do you want to add a school that's only going to infringe more upon your recruiting territory if you're all of these Texas schools that are already in the Big 12, right, like TCU and Texas Tech and Baylor, and even, even to some extent like in Oklahoma State where it's not in Texas, but like it's close enough that that's a major part of the recruiting territory. So, uh, yeah, I just think like long-term it's probably not viable for the Pac-12 to add the best school available. And if it's not viable to add the best school available, then it's probably not viable to remain a conference all that much longer. Uh, but we've probably talked enough about this alliance that, again, isn't a whole lot of anything for the time being. Uh, we can move on to what, what we originally planned to talk about today, uh, and that is our Big Ten predictions. Uh, we're not going to go completely in-depth with them. We will have a story this weekend on uh, Cal and I will project all 14 uh, standing spots, 7-1 to one in both the East and the West, uh, along with who we, with, we think will win the Big Ten title game this year. Um, but, but we can get into Penn State's projection here uh, because that's what we're here for, right? It's Penn State Athletics, people are listening for. And uh, I'll let you start off. Where do you think Penn State finishes in the Big Ten East? I think they finished second. And and the reason why is because I think that, you know, I, I think that you always tried to fight to catch Ohio State. And I think that P- Penn State, they're a couple of years away from you know, get into the point where I think that they can compete with Ohio State on a on a consistent basis. Um, if they keep adding, you know, these these type of uh, recruiting classes and building on that, and you know, find a quarterback for the future, I think that's putting you on the Ohio State level. But I mean, as it currently stands, I think this team is still strong. I mean, it's not saying you know, being second in the Big Ten's not. I mean, in the Big Ten East is nothing to sneeze at especially considering that the teams that you play against on a regular basis are as good as, you know, you're playing against Michigan. And I think an upcoming Maryland team, um, you know, Rutgers is getting better. Uh, Michigan State's getting better. I mean, it's, it's a bunch of teams that are improving. So I think you can't, you can never sleep on any of these teams in this conference. And I think that, you know, Penn State that are on the, on the Eastern side, I think they're the second best team as it currently stands just roster wise. And I think, you know, the way that they're going to be coaching. Yeah. I, so I am lower on Penn state this year. Uh, I have them finishing third. Um, the obvious one, right. We both have Ohio state ahead of them. That makes sense. Ohio state's the best team in the big 10, most talented team in the big 10, one of the most talented team in the country. Uh, it's hard to argue quite frankly for anyone other than Ohio state up there, but I also have Indiana finishing ahead of Penn state. Um, and I went, I went back and forth on this because I do think that it's pretty likely that we see Ohio State first and then either Indiana or Penn State second and Indiana or Penn State third. I don't think Michigan's going to be good this year. I've said that several times. Uh, but to me, it comes down to the quarterback play. And I, and I don't like doing this all the time, but 
Indiana has Michael Penix, who's a very good quarterback if he can stay healthy, which is an issue, but it's also an issue for Sean Clifford at times. Uh, you know, when, when Penix is playing, he's playing really well, and, and they have a ton of weapons too on the outside uh, that that can that can be game breakers, quite frankly. Um, I don't think Ty Freifogel is on the level of Jahan Dotson, but he's close, uh, and I think that matters quite a bit. They have a very good running back room, uh, really good defense, really well coached, and Tom Allen, you mentioned the coaching. Uh, but, but for Penn State, it's, it's going to come down to that quarterback play. It's going to come down to, you know, uh, how the offense produces this year. I've said time and time again, I expect the defense to be awesome, uh, which is still the case. Like, I think that's going to be a top 10, 15 unit uh, on, on that side of the ball. But if, if they can't get consistent quarterback play, it's going to be tough to win a lot of games. And honestly, I, I think they're probably going to lose three or four. And Indiana's probably going to lose two or three. And, and that's what it came down to. I think. Indiana has a higher ceiling. I think they have a better chance of beating Ohio State. Don't think either team's going to do it, but I do think Indiana had a better chance. Um, and, and I guess the question becomes then, what does Penn State have to do to get to this level of Ohio State, right? Because, you know, you, you have them second. I have them second or third in, in the same tier as Indiana, essentially. Uh, we both have them in our second tier of the Big Ten East. What do they have to do to get to that next level? Because for all the talk of like, are they going to get to beat Ohio State? Are they going to win the Big Ten? It doesn't seem all that feasible to you or I this year. So what what does involve what does taking that next step involve? I think most of it involves just, you know, like I said prior, I think that they need to continue to recruit the way that they've been recruiting. I think they've done a a really stand up job of, uh, you know, getting as many guys as they can and especially adding that depth. I think that, you know, when I look at Penn State versus Ohio State, Ohio State has, you know, multiple five star guys. They have like, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys that are five stars, whereas Penn State, you know, they they have maybe one or two and and you're not going to be able to compete against the Ohio States and Clemson's and Alabama's and Georgia's if you don't have you know those multiple five-star guys and I just think that you know five stars yes that's that's only part of the problem I think of course you continue to keep adding these four-star guys and they they pan out I think the development is going to be huge I think you get a guy like Drew Alar and if, if you can continue to boost him up and prop him up I mean it doesn't hurt to be a high four-star guy and you got a couple of those on your team. Um, as we know, Saquon Barkley was a was a high four-star guy. And look how he turned out. So, I mean, it, it just all depends on what they do when it comes to recruiting. I mean, you just have to continue to plug away at that. And then when guys get there, you know, you have to continue to, to push them and develop them. I think that that's one thing that we saw with the quarterbacks. Um, you know, how many times have we seen with Penn State quarterbacks where they might have a very strong start to, you know, their careers and then they, they kind of take that backtrack, they backtrack a little bit. And I think that's where they get hurt. Um, I, I know for a fact that, you know, some of these guys have the talent. And I think that when you when you have, you know, you have a coaching staff, that adds Mike Yurcich, who, you know, has been known as a guy that can can get to the quarterbacks and can whisper to the quarterbacks and tell them, hey, look, this is what we need to do. I'm going to put you in the best situation to win. I'm going to try to, like, you know, 
work on on your talents as best as I possibly can and and make those the forefront of your game. I think that's a, a huge thing. I think offensive line, you know, Ohio State, you know, we always talked about Wisconsin getting the offensive linemen. Ohio State's getting the same kind of offensive linemen, if not better ones than Wisconsin was getting back in the day. And and when you have a situation like Ohio State situation where you can continue to keep adding depth on your O line, I mean, I mean those were those are where the battles are won. You know, you got to win battles up front. You have to get those running backs that I and I think Penn State has the running backs. That's not a problem um, to run behind that strong offensive line. Then you also have to have a quarterback that's going to be able to facilitate the ball. I mean, receivers, I think that's another area where they can continue to improve on as well. I think tight ends, Penn State's always done a very solid job with tight ends over the past couple of years. We've seen that. So it's not like they can't produce tight end after tight end. Um, and that's just the offense. I think defense, if anything, Penn State's defense is closer to Ohio State's defense and Penn State's offense. And I think that's the biggest issue is that if Penn State's offense can't catch up to an Ohio State or right now, I mean, as you're saying, maybe an Indiana, I think that's where they kind of fall apart. You know, I I just, you know, I, I think that they need they need to add a couple more pieces on that on that offensive side of the ball. Like I said, quarterback, offensive line depth, offensive linemen in general. <laughs> you know, you want you want 10, 15 guys in that offensive line room that are all, you know, strong guys that can beat people, you know, explosive guys that are beating people off the ball. Um, you know, you want you, you want more receivers, more weapons to play with. Um, you know, you want a quarterback that can, like I said, facilitate. You don't necessarily have to have a guy that's going to be a Trevor Lawrence, you know. Maybe you just need a uh, – you, you just need a – I mean, maybe you just need Sean Clifford to be a, a guy like Sean Clifford just to be a little bit better, um, especially if he has the weapon. So that that's one of the things I'm, that I tell people about Penn State is that they're so close – to get into that point if they just add those pieces. You know, like I said, defensive side of the ball, I mean, you said before that you think Penn State is going to be a top 10 defense. I think that if they are a top 10 defense, then, you know, the offense needs to catch up. The offense can't be as, you know, mediocre as it's been. You know, that that's just not, that's not what they need right now. And I think that they need to continue to add on to that. And it's it's going to come. I think it's coming. I mean, we we look at some of the recruits. Um, you know, of course, we talked about Alar. Um, we talked about other guys like Denai Dennis Sutton adding to that defense. But now you're adding guys like Caden Saunders. You're adding Nicholas Singleton. You're adding Makai Flowers. You know, those are the weapons that you need. Catron Allen, another guy. Drew Shelton, awesome offensive tackle that you're adding. Anthony Ivey, another receiver. Jerry Cross, another tight end, you know, that could, that could that's a weapon. And I think that's where they're going to add a ton at. They're just adding more and more weapons. And I think that Penn State, that's how they catch up to Ohio State is by adding those weapons and adding the quarterbacks. And I think that they have those in these next coming classes. Yeah, and 
And I think you, I think you nailed it, right? Like this is about their ability to build talent and, and to acquire talent in one way or another. Um, you mentioned the, the recruiting class. That's obviously vital. The transfer portal could be really helpful with this, uh, bringing in guys uh, at key positions of need. But in terms of, I think you, you, you nailed all of the future stuff to, to take it in another direction. To, to get there this year, they essentially need Sean Clifford to be who he was in 2019, um, which is, it's not, it's not like a superstar, I don't think, right? I don't think this is, this is a player that, that has to be the, the best player on the team. He just has to go out there and distribute the ball to the playmakers because the longer you look at this roster, the more enticing the offense looks, right? Uh, you're looking at guys like, Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington on the outside, Theo Johnson and Brenton Strange at tight end. Five running backs that can play at this level. Five of them, right? So they should be able to have a good run game. They should be explosive in the passing game. They just need someone to make sure that they can get the ball to these guys. And while I don't think it means they can catch Ohio State this year, I think they can be in a tier by themselves this year if they get that kind of improvement. Um, if they get that sort of, you know, game manager level of play from Sean Clifford. They can, they can be, uh, you know, a, a potential, I don't want to say a potential playoff team, but a potential 10 win team, which I think it's a step forward from going four and five last year. Uh, and quite frankly, from where I project them to be, but I think, I think you're right. I think it all just comes down to adding the talent. I think that they've got a good base on the roster. They now need to build it out to the point that it encompasses the roster like Ohio state has done. It just takes a long time to do that. A question for you then, how feasible do you think it is that this class, this incoming class, can be that group? And how long do you think it would take them to get Penn State to that level if you do? Well, I think that I think that the 2022 class, I, I mean, I'm looking at them and I'm like, they have they have that cachet that I think that they could get to that point. I think that 2021 class is a very good stepping stone. Like they you know, the fact that they've added multiple, they've added a ton of four-star guys in that class. And I think they have guys that have a ton of talent. You know, we, we talked about in the past, Zachy Weekly, we talked about Kaylin, Kaylin King, um, you know, Landon Tengwall. Um, so many of those guys, I think, are very good stepping stones to that 2022 class that I think can continue to put pressure on people. And the fact that, you know, in the 2022 class, you know, you have uh, another offensive tackle on Drew Shelton that I think is going to be mauling people to death. I mean, the kid is a is a great player from all that I've seen so far. I think that, you know, you what, what were we talking about prior? We were talking about the fact that they have, I think that Penn State, their biggest issue that I saw in the past was that, you know, their weapons were kind of lacking. Um and and now you're bringing in Caden Saunders, you're bringing in Makai Flowers, you're bringing in Anthony Ivy, um, you know, you're bringing in a, a number of guys. Gary Cross is another guy. Um, I mean, and all the running backs that they're bringing in. I mean, Penn State has a ton of running backs that I think currently are already extremely talented, and now you're adding to that group. And I think that, you know, what they're lacking in is you know, those weapons, I, I think they continue to add the weapons. They continue their tight end room, I think, is set right now as is. I think that's a very great tight end room to have 
right now because these guys are still young. It's not like either of these guys are older. Um, and then you're adding Jerry Cross to that tight end room next year. I mean, that that adds a ton. Now you could get a little bit more creative. And not only that, but you got guys that could step in and play their first year. I think that always adds a, adds a ton. If you get guys that could come in, step in their first year, it's not a situation that you had last year with COVID where, you know, guys aren't getting a full offseason to work out. Guys aren't getting the spring game. If some of these guys are early enrolling and then they have a full offseason to catch up on a playbook, um, I don't see why this team couldn't be even better than they are this year. I mean, significantly better. Um, just more fun to watch, at least. I mean, that's that's a very least. So I don't I don't see why they couldn't add on to what they have. I think this year, you know, this is the this is a building block year. They need to jump back. They need to make sure that, hey, look, we're not taking a step back. We're not just because we went four and five last season doesn't mean we can't jump up to eight wins or nine wins this season. I Like I said, I think they win nine, ten games this season. Um, you know, I'm starting to feel closer to nine <laughs> than I am to ten. But, you know, at the same time, I still think that they'll add on to it in the next couple of years. I think that you continue to keep building off of it and they'll get there. I think the interesting thing about the the sort of win total discussion is all of these games that you could project them to lose with the exception of Ohio State, you can reasonably project them to win. And on some level, you can project them to beat Ohio State, but that's not a level that I would be willing to reach. Uh, that is a sort of above the 75th percentile pie in the sky outcome to me that I just don't think is feasible. I do think I do think you're right that this is the it's not a transition year as much as it's a building year upon what uh, uh, build, continuing to build the space and seeing what you have next year. Uh, but the reason I ask is because they have this influx of talents, but they've had these influxes of talent before. Micah Parsons class, I, I believe 2018, was this level of influx of talent and they didn't do a ton with it, quite frankly. Uh, so I think the key to this is having that influx of talent and having the quarterback at the same time, which is what happened like in those classes, right? They didn't have the quarterback at the same time. And frankly, for a year, they also didn't have Michael Parsons, even though he was still college eligible last year. But the, the, the main thing for that, I think, is Mike Yurse has got to hang around for them to be at this level. Or they, if they hire a replacement, if he leaves for a head coaching job or a better job somewhere, they've got to be just as good because – you need to have an offensive coordinator that attracts that level of quarterback and then a quarterback's coach who is usually also the offensive coordinator that can develop that quarterback. So keeping your sitch around, I think is going to be one of the biggest keys for this team. And I don't know, you know, maybe he, maybe the ceiling is two, maybe three years on him sticking around, but if you can get three years out of Mike Yurcich and you can, you know, get some of the quarterbacks in and get him to work with them, that's a pretty big step uh, because quarterback's important. We say it all the time. We talk about quarterbacks all the time on this podcast, all the time on the Penn State beat. You hear about uh, the quarterback play because it's going to dictate the season. Uh, and one of the reasons I brought up what I did earlier, though, about, you know, what they could be if, if Clifford's sort of a game manager is it seems like when we have this discussion, and I'm more guilty of this than anyone, I think, anytime we discuss Penn State, Penn State's offense this year, it's really all about Sean Clifford and the quarterback. Uh, and we sort of – not don't dismiss the rest of the offense, but kind of ignore it because, well, if the guy can't get them the ball, then, then why does it matter? Um, but I do think the supporting cast around him and the offensive line and the weapons and everyone around him is almost at that level 
to, to being a sustainable winner. When I say sustainable winner, I mean like a potential playoff contender. Uh, it's just a matter of getting that the other position there. And, and if they, they don't get them there, but can get them to a game manager level, I think that matters quite a bit. Um, but to, to go back to what you said, uh, so if we're, if we're building out, and, and this sort of looks like a we, – we both said we'll call it nine wins, right? We'll call it uh, – we'll say that Penn State wins nine games this year. What do, what do they win next year if they can keep this class together? What does what does it look like if they can keep Yurisich around? And do you see any answers in the future at quarterback? Because at the end of the day, this, this, this discussion about predicting the Big Ten is about predicting where Penn State is in the Big Ten and, you know, what tier they're in and how they get to the next tier. So – do you do you believe that there is a quarterback in the pipeline, whether it's Alar or whether it's you know Tequan Roberson or Christian Veyu that can be the guy to take them to the next level? I think Alar is, um, you know, and I think I, we've been saying that for a while. I think he he's a guy. I mean, we've seen his arm talent, we've seen his accuracy, we've seen, and I noticed at the high school level, and that's totally different than college. But I look at this kid and I'm like, he has that cachet about him. He has the he has the it factor that I think that a Penn State quarterback hadn't had since, dare I say, you know, when Hackenberg was a freshman. Um, I think when when Hackenberg was a freshman, you could see it from him. But then after that, he kind of fell to the wayside. And I think that, you know, if, if Mike Gersich is staying around um, and then you have a law there and he's able to guide a law to, you know, a, <laughs> being drafted in the in the first the second or the first through third rounds in the NFL draft I think you have a very good situation on your hands um if your quarterback is getting drafted within those first three rounds um you know especially coming from Penn State I think that's going to attract a ton of people because you know no one how many people really think of Penn State as a quarterback school I mean ever <laughs> you know this was a we're not blaming I'm not blaming James Franklin for this because this was before him. You know, it was when when Paternal was there for God knows how long and how many quarterbacks came out of, you know, Penn State besides Kerry Collins. I'm, I'm thinking of, yeah, yep, Kerry yeah, Collins and Matt yeah, Matt McGloin. Like not and that and it's Matt not McLoyne like a walk on quarterback. So I'm not giving any big credit for that. Exactly. So you know that that's my biggest thing. I mean, they, it's it's not just it's not just you know a a James Franklin situation. I think you have to keep those guys around your uh, your your system. I mean, you have to keep your sitch around. You know, and if your sitch like next year, let's say Sean Clifford has a very good season, and your sitch is like, hey, I want to bring in another guy from. I want my guy here. You know, I want him here. Can I can I bring in a guy that I want? You say yes to him, because if he says that, what happens? Like either Yersich could go take him to become his offensive coordinator at a head coaching job or you could promote him at Penn State where, you know, chances are the offensive coordinator job at Penn State is way bigger than the one, you know, whatever offensive coordinator job that you're going to get under Yersich unless Yersich goes to you know, a, a, a big level power five school on the same level as Penn State, which is, you know, that's really hard to do. That's quite the jump, uh, you know, and, and it's not one that I foresee happening. Right? Even I'm very high on Mike Yurcich, very high on his offense. What he did at Oklahoma State uh, is 
pretty remarkable. One of the things I made note of in a story we, we published this morning about um, the wide receiver depth behind Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington was that from 2015 to 2018, uh, Yurcich had four – every year, all four of the seasons, he had at least three 600-yard receivers on the team every year. Um, some years, he had James Washington racking up 1,400 and 1,500. Uh, which is, again, pretty remarkable. So this offense should be high-flying. Keeping years such a round should be vital. Uh, and getting that quarterback, like I said, is going to be vital. Drew Alar, I, 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 I'm pretty much with you, lock and step on that. I think he can be that guy, but it's a lot to ask a freshman to do that early. Um, I don't doubt that he's capable. I just don't know if it's the best position to put him in. We saw what happened with Christian Hackenberg, right, when he had to come in early, and he was pretty good as a freshman. And then – just completely stagnated from there. Uh, before that, the quarterback history, like you said, is not great at Penn State. Guys like Daryl Clark and Michael Robinson, who were good and, and really good college quarterbacks. And Michael Robinson was a pretty good NFL fullback, which, uh, you know, the, they just haven't produced a lot of these high-level guys. That, that It's not even about winning the Heisman Trophy, but, like, if a guy that you can say his name about the Heisman and not get laughed at, right, like, they just haven't had that guy at quarterback in a very, very long time, um, you know, decades, really. Uh, and you can put Clark and Robinson sort of in those conversations, but even then that was two coaching staffs ago and, and not something connected to this current team, not something recruits really care about with this team. So it is going to be really important to get that guy, to get that quarterback. Uh, we may as well wrap this up, though. We, we both have uh, Penn State finishing in the top three in the East. I have him finishing third. You have them finishing second. Who do you think wins each division in the Big Ten? And who do you think wins the Big Ten title? I believe I know the answer to all of these questions already. Okay. Um, I, well, let's just get the easy one out of the way first. Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten East. I mean, they Ohio State is just a juggernaut. We know this for a fact. Um, I just think that it's no way. It's absolutely no way that I think anybody can compete with them on the same level. I mean, they're just, yeah, no, <laughs> it's just not happening. Um, the Big Ten West, I I believe that Wisconsin is going to win the Big Ten West. Um, you know, like I said, I think if, if there is a game that Penn State loses early in the season, I think that Wisconsin would be a very smart pick. Um, I think that Penn State will – you know, bounce back against Auburn, but I think Wisconsin, if they, if they go on, if you go and punch Penn state in the mouth, which, you know, I think that game could go either way. I think, you know, either one of them could win that game, but if you beat Penn state early on in the season and you ride that into, into glory, I think Wisconsin, you know, they have a very good shot of being a very, um, you know, formidable, Foe in the in the Big Ten West, which means that I think they're going to win it. It's either, I mean, if, and if you had a dark horse for the Big Ten West, well, I guess not too much of a dark horse, but uh, Iowa, you know, that's the other team that I could see winning it. But I think it's Wisconsin's to lose at this point. Yeah, I think I think teams like Min- for what's worth, I'm also picking Ohio State in the East. There's not a whole lot more to say. Most talented team in the East should probably go undefeated in the Big Ten. Will be interesting to see if they can they can maintain that out of conference. I believe they played Oregon in week two this year. Uh, should be a fun game, but yeah, I mean, they're the best team in the Big Ten. Uh, as far as the West, I think it's I think you're probably right, and I, I 
will also pick Wisconsin. I do think, however, that Minnesota could challenge. Uh, I, I think if, this is going to sound all too familiar, but I think if Purdue finally breaks through, they can be a threat if they finally find the quarterback because David Bell might be the best wide receiver in the country, and uh, they always have dynamic offenses. Uh, but at the end of the day, like the, the consistency of Wisconsin, of their running game, Kyle Kielenberger in the backfield, Graham Mertz, a quarterback who should be the best quarterback they've had since Russell Wilson, basically. Uh, not that that's saying much. Those guys haven't exactly been excellent since Russell Wilson. Uh, but I do think uh, we ultimately get Ohio State-Wisconsin and give me Ohio State winning the Big Ten as a whole, winning the Big Ten title game. Uh, you know, unsurprisingly, if you, if you listen this long, greatly appreciate it. Apologize for going chalk at the end, but someday chalk, uh, someday's chalk is the right answer. And I think today it was absolutely the right answer going with Ohio State and Wisconsin uh, and Ohio State winning the conference. Out of the out of the Big Ten championship game, um, you know, I think it's Ohio State so loose, of course. I think Ohio State's winning it. And I think Ohio State runs rough shot over Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. Yeah, they're just – I mean – Frankly, they're too good in the running game, too good in the passing game, too good defensively, and too good offensively. Uh, you know, and their uh, quarterback will be interesting this year. We'll see what C.J. Stroud does for Ohio State, but they're really good. Um, that being said, as we discussed today, it, it might not be too, too far off when Penn State can actually push Ohio State when they can actually, you know, challenge them in the way that they were three years ago uh, rather than sort of last year when the game was close but never really felt like Penn State had that much of a chance. That'll do it for this week's episode of The Lion's Lair. You can find all of Kyle and I's work at senderdaily.com, covering uh, me covering Penn State football and men's basketball, and Kyle covering, helping me with Penn State football and basketball and covering all the Penn State athletics and, and preps at uh, the Center Daily Times. You can find me on Twitter at, at John Sauber. You can find Kyle at, at KyleJAndrews underscore. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. Suggest it to friends, you know, recommend it to others. Uh, word of mouth is a great way to spread these kind of things too. Um, but that'll do it for this week's episode. We're one week away from having a preview episode of Penn State versus Wisconsin, which is pretty exciting. A uh, week and a half away now from Penn State playing Wisconsin and we'll finally have some college football again. Uh, but thanks for tuning in and have a great day.